All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Hey, real quick before we jump into things, um, at the welcome desk are all these prayer walking little pamphlets. We do this the month of October every year. We prayer walk our neighborhoods, the area in which we live in. And so this week, the map, prayer walking map, will go up um, right there in the kids' check-in area. And so a couple of things I want to ask of you. Number one, if you'll make the commitment through the month of October to be prayer walking where you live. And make sure that you then come back on the map and, and then notate it. We have a little marker there because this is a kind of a broad area that we all kind of live in here in the hill country. And so the only way we can cover it is we kind of break apart and we all kind of separate and we begin to prayer walk our area. Prayer walking just simply means get out of your house, get out of your room, and just literally walk the streets of your neighborhood praying for your neighbors, praying for the businesses, praying for the churches, praying for the situations that are going around. It's interesting, when you're walking, you have a greater awareness of what's happening, and it helps you to really engage in prayers. And here's the bottom line is, many of the people that you're going to be walking around and those houses that, that are surrounding you, there are people there who have never been prayed for. Think about it. There's nobody in the world that may be praying for that person. And so but when you walk by, you begin to add your voice to heaven for that person. You may not know, but God may actually reveal something to you as you're walking by. And so the only way we do this, we do this every month of October. We just take the month of October to prayer walk. So do that in your own area. Plus, we have two organized ways of we doing it. We kind of come together if your schedules allow for it. Um, Sundays after the second service, we um, kind of organize together and we go to a designated area as a group and prayer walk that area. So that's Sundays after service. And then Thursdays at 9 o'clock um, in the morning, we do it from 9 to 10 on Thursday mornings and then after the second service on Sunday. Now, October 7th, which is this coming Sunday, I can't believe tomorrow's October 1st. Can you believe it's October 1st, everybody? October is really important around here because we have Falltober, which is an enormous event that we put on for the community, and so that's just right there. We have Pumpkin Patch coming. It's bigger and better than everything that we've ever done, and so October is kind of breathe, everybody, breathe, um, but so, but this, the 7th is kind of a different one. What we want to try to organize is that on Sunday, if you'll go out as families in your area versus just accumulating here at the church and going. But after that, every Sunday after second service, we'll meet together and then go out together in a designated area of our community. Does that make sense, everybody? Thursday is 9 o'clock, Sunday after church, after 11, after 11.30 service, and then on your own, be prayer walking your area. These little prayer walking um, little pamphlets there are at the welcome desk. You can pick that up on your way out. All right. Well, as you can see, we're going to do things just a little bit differently. This is my wife, Courtney, here. Those of you who don't, haven't met her before. And uh, we've been doing this series that we've been calling Real Relationships, and and what we've been doing is talking about the, how there's a direct correlation between our relational life and our spiritual lives. And we've been having that kind of conversation. When you read through your, your Bible, Jesus was asked if he could kind of summarize uh, what was the most important things in Scripture. If you could kind of put it in a sentence or two, what are the most important commandments in the Scripture? And he said, sure, I can do that. He said, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest relational commandments we have, and these are the most important things in our life. These really are part of our purpose here in this world, and I think we'll be asked when we step into eternity how well we have done those two purposes. 
And when you think of it, these two purposes really interact with each other. One way I like to say it is that, yeah, you really can't love God effectively without loving others. And you really can't love people effectively without loving God. And so these are two really important relationships in our life, and they really are forever linked. And so, and so as we're doing this relationship series, a lot of this is, is to help you re- in your relationship life, but it's also to help your spiritual life, because I think we all know that when your relationships are good, life is really good. And when you're, but when your relationships are bad, then it affects every aspect of your life, and your life gets really miserable very, very quickly. And so there's a chapter in the Bible that we're going to kind of look at here this morning that kind of deals with what we're talking about here today. It's a chapter that probably most of you are aware of. It's, it's read in most weddings, um, although it's not really usually followed, um, but it does tend to be a passage of Scripture that most of us are familiar with. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it's known as the love chapter. Look at this in starting in verse 7. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so I want you to notice the word always in these two verses. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Have you ever heard of the the story of Harold and Marie? I love this. Harold and Marie were married for 50 years and... On their 50th anniversary, um, they were telling the stories of, the, of their marriage. And they, during their 50 years of marriage, they had never had an argument or a fight. And so someone was asking the question, what is the key to their successful marriage over these past 50 years? And Harold began to tell the story that after they were married and on their way to their honeymoon, just right after their wedding ceremony, they got into Marie's horse-drawn carriage. And and we're going to go off to their honeymoon. But when they got in the carriage, the horse wouldn't move. So Marie jumped down from the carriage and looked the horse in the face. And she said, that's one. She got back up into the carriage. And they went on down the road just a little bit. But then the horse stopped again. And so Marie jumped off the horse and off the carriage and looked at the horse and said, that's two. They went on down, down the road a little bit further. And then ultimately, the horse stopped again. So this time, Marie jumped off the carriage and Um, grabbed her revolver and shot and killed her horse. Well, Harold was completely appalled and absolutely shocked by this and said, Marie, what in the world are you doing? You can't do this. You can't shoot and kill a horse. To which Marie looked at Harold in the face and said, That's one. And they never had a fight again. Now... I think there's probably some of us that wish that we could have and deal with our relational struggles like Marie did, um, but we can't, everybody. Come on, look at me. You can't deal with your relational struggles like Marie did. You know what I'm talking about here? But look at this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. It says this. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And so what I want you to think about is because I think this is really important for us to understand because I think there's absolutely no way for us to fulfill this verse on our own. There is just no way that we can always love this way. But let me tell you a secret that I think will really help you with this. Because the more you surrender your life to God, 
The more you surrender your life to Jesus, you'll discover that you'll be able to do far more than you ever thought was possible, including this ability to love always and to actually walk out this love that lasts. And so Courtney and I want to share some things that I think we've discovered um, over the years of our marriage. We've been married 25 and a half years. We're now empty nesters entering to old new season of life. And so there's some things that we would like to kind of share with you as we get going here. So yeah, Russ, it's what, 20, well, more than that many years ago, we actually met in college um, in Oklahoma. Um, we never dated in college, but our last year there, my senior year in college, we um, worked together and we were dorm chaplains. So he was over a guy's dorm, I was over a woman's dorm, and we helped the chaplains and the spiritual life of those dorms. But never dated, we're never really interested in each other. Um, kind of going in two different directions. And so it wasn't until a couple years after we graduated, our paths crossed again. And I was living in Colorado. I'd kind of gone to try to pursue a business thing. And he had gone on the mission field. So truly two different directions. And um, so he was back from the mission field for Christmas to, and came to Colorado Springs because we had some mutual friends there. And our paths kind of crossed again. And um, he was only home for a couple weeks and um, ended up going back to Germany is where he was at the time. And some of you have heard stories about that as well. But um, after he went back, we started writing letters, um, which at the time, it was all really informational. You know, we hadn't dated. We were always just friends. Um, and remember, this is before Internet. Oh, yes. All right, so... <laughs> Actual physical letters, letters that you have to write on these really thin pieces of airmail because it was so expensive to send overseas. And you couldn't call because it was like $500 a minute or something like that. Yeah. So, um, so we were writing, and at the time, it was funny because neither one of us really know what the other were thinking, but I think we were both kind of like, oh, you know, you know, I didn't really notice him in college, but things were different. And I'd get these letters from him, and I was living in a townhouse with two other girls, which was a fun season. And I remember I'd get these letters and they would just be say like, they were all really informational. So it was like, dear Courtney, ministry is full of the Holy Spirit today. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, it wasn't like that. But it was always, <laughs> it was always just really informational, like what they were doing. And my roommate. Okay, okay, but here's, <laughs> here's the thing. We had a mutual friend that was trying to set us up. And so he says, oh, I think you guys would really, this would really work. Why, what do you think about Courtney? Why don't we try to make this happen? And so he's the one that gave me her address. And so I'm thinking, I'm gonna, she's going to start receiving these letters, and she's going to think, why is he writing me? And so you, you don't do anything but just kind of tell what's going on in your life. I had no idea that he was talking to her as well. None, no clue. Yeah, so he was telling me, he's like, did you get a letter from Russ yet? I told him to write you. And, and so when I get these letters, my roommates would always, what we call, read into them. So it would be like, Courtney. And they would read, my dearest Courtney. <laughs> he's like, and it'd be like, we're here in Germany doing street evangelism. And they'd say, we're here in Germany doing street evangelism. And I so wish you were here with me. <laughs> so... So my roommates, we'd go through that. And um, anyways, like this story could literally be 30 minutes, but I'm, we're going to give the short version. Um, but anyways, he comes back. He was supposed to only be back in the States for a few, six, weeks. six weeks. And he ended up calling. I didn't know he was coming. 
and he ended up leaving me a message on my voicemail. That was like legit voicemail, you know, where you have to push the button and everybody in the room hears it. And we had come back, it was like 11 o'clock at night. My roommates all come back. We were hiking at 11 o'clock at night, I don't know. But, um, and it said, hey, Courtney, this is Russ. I'm back in Colorado. And like, we literally had to listen to the message like 10 times because all my roommates were like screaming through the whole thing so we couldn't hear. But anyway, so he came back. We ended up seeing each other. And in the time that he was here, and kind of his plans in Germany and Poland fell through. And so all of a sudden he was gonna be here in the States. And so that was, you got back like the end of August and we basically ended up getting married in March of that same year. So um, it all went really fast, but it was just kind of one of those things, you know, you know when you know, and um, it's been 25 and a half years now and it's been, it's been awesome. Without any fights. <laughs> I've taught well, right? Um, but one of the big things that we've discovered in this, you know, and anybody who's been married for more than six months, you know, it's really an, um, learning how to celebrate differences. Um, you, if you haven't figured it out, we figured this out pretty quick that, you know, men and women are different. Um, and this is the way God designed it, really. So, um, really figuring that out. Who here, anybody married, has figured out that men and women are different? <laughs> so one of the things we want to talk just a little bit about is I, I, we want to dispel the compatibility myth that can a lot of times enter into the conversation with married couples after they've been married a while. Because I think so many people use that excuse, well, we're just not compatible anymore. And in every divorce box, there's that irreconcilable differences. We're just not, we don't have the compatibility. But I really think that's like chasing the wind. This idea of being compatible, that we're no longer compatible anymore. Because the reality is, is that you don't want to be married to you. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to be married to you. There, it's important to have differences. It's important. Um, that's where healthy, dynamic relationships happen, are really when opposites come together. And so really, you know, for Russ and I, um, we're often coming from different perspectives. It's usually like when I want to spend money, Russ wants to save money. Um, when Russ wants to discipline the kids, I usually want to show mercy and be lenient. Um, when I want to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and another episode of The Office, he wants to watch like some war movie, shoot 'em up, you know, Rambo thing. Um, when I say I have nothing to wear, it really means that I want to go buy a new outfit. And when he has nothing to wear, it usually means he has nothing clean. Um, and really, when I say that I want to put up the Christmas decorations in October, he pretty much just rolls his eyes at me. He wanted to listen, she wanted to listen to Christmas music yesterday. It's <laughs> September 29th, and she wants to listen to Christmas music. So, yeah, so it's differences. Who knows what I'm talking about with this? Um, but really, it's with these differences that I think we really have to learn how to celebrate them. Because we can let them irritate us, or we can celebrate them. Um, and this is really one of the reasons why I think it's so important to first, and I think this is the biggest thing that helped me in our marriage early on, is just understanding differences of personalities and differences of the way men and women do things. And so for Russ, um, if well, we got, we started figuring out like personality types pretty early on in our marriage. And 
if you do anything with that, he's a D personality, which means he's, that's the kind of person who's driven. It's um, the best personality. <laughs> <laughs> yes, him and my daughter. So I wanted Christmas music yesterday and they ganged up on me with that one. But um, anyways, it's the driven person, they're dogmatic, they're usually the leaders, they get things done. Like they're the personality that really gets things done. So lots of really great gifts, but Ds are also the ones, if you look behind them, they have lots of dead bodies behind them because <laughs> they've just run right over everybody in their wake to get things done. And so I've, over our marriage, have been able to somewhat keep up with it, but um, this was one, this has been, anytime we've moved into a new house, and we just moved into a house, so some of you know how this goes with us, but this was one of the very first houses we moved into, I had like a one-year-old and a two-year-old, and um, we closed on the house on like December 15th, so it was right before Christmas, and if you haven't picked, I'm like a Christmas freak, so um, we move in on the 15th, and I'm not even joking, it was a, it was a brand newly built house. By December 19th, like within four days, every single box was unpacked, everything was on the walls, we had 17 windows, Mini blinds were up on every window, window coverings on every window. There was rugs down, things on the wall, literally looked like we had lived there for three years, in four days. And that's, I'll never- That's the way everybody does it, right? <laughs> and I'll never forget, I, even, I ran to the store, you know, when you buy a house, you go to Home Depot like five times a day. And I went to get something, I come back, and the Christmas tree is up, decorated, lights, some presents, you know, that he had like whipped together in an hour and a half. and so. Because we had people coming. Like the next day, we had all this family coming for Christmas, so it had to be there. And, you know, part of that, like, I can keep up with, you know, to some degree, I'll come along for the ride on that. Um, but that just kind of gives you an idea of how our house will function sometimes. It was a few months after that, that same house, we had decided we're going to stain the deck. The deck hadn't been stained because it was brand new, and it was finally getting warm. It was in Colorado. So... Um, I knew he was going to get up the next day to stain the deck. Well, at like 5.30 in the morning, he pops out of bed. Once again, I have a one-year-old and a two-year-old. I think I'd probably been up at night. And he's like, hey, can you get up um, and sweep the deck off? I'm going to get the stain ready to stain the deck at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> I was like, I stopped for a minute, and I am like, what kind of earth do we live on here? <laughs> And it was one of those, it was actually a great discussion because it was, okay, he's on that, he's on that level of drive. And I'm like, can we wait till 8 o'clock in the morning before we get up and do this? But it was from that day on, even till today, when we talk about it now, you know, when we understand the differences, and I understand the value that it does bring. Um, but when he gets in that mode and I'm not ready to go for the ride, I'll just say, you're ding me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And he knows now, he's like, okay, I'm gonna back off. You know, so we've figured out how to do it and he knows, you know, I know when I have the energy to jump on the wagon and, and when we need to slow down. So it's really getting those differences and figuring them out, not letting them irritate you, but really learning to celebrate them and how to work together with that. Yeah, I say this to couples all the time. It's, it's, not, always, it's not always personal, it's personality. And if you don't understand the differences of personality, you'll, you'll always take it personal. Here's number two, and that is you've got to work on communication. So when you talk about 
you know, your re relationship um, it lasting a lifetime. You've got to work in communication. I always think it's amazing because, you know, we do this proactively and intentionally in our work environments. We do it with our bosses, our employees, our um, we do it with our coworkers. We even do it with our friends. We're, we're willing to do, we're actually work in communication with other people. But when it comes to marriage, so many of us don't practically and intentionally work on having better communication with our spouse. Actually, statistics show that the average couple only spends four minutes a day in meaningful conversation. How many know that that's just not enough? That's, that's not good enough to have real good, effective communication. Um, in our marriage relationships. And so, yeah, communication, so many differences between men and women in this area. Um, statistics also show that the average woman speaks or wants to speak about 30,000 words a day. And the average guy wants to speak about half that, which is 15,000 words a day. But for Russ, that 15 even gets cut in half because he's only got about 8,000 words in him in a day. And so... You know, and he he uses them all up before he gets home, really. I mean, in just talking with people, and which he loves to do and we love to do. But by the time he gets home, there's maybe four words left. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, you ladies may know where I'm going on this because I'll say, so how was your day? I am fine. That's or, just or sometimes three. just fine. Fine. Oh, okay. yeah. Or I'll be, what happened today? Oh, I was in meetings all day. Oh, so anything exciting happened or any, any new news? No, not really. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just one of those things. It's the differences. And, and I've learned, you know, I don't take it personally. And honestly, I think people, even in the church, think that, like, Russ comes home and tells me everything that he talked with everybody about during the day. And literally, he doesn't. I mean, you know, we... And it's good. I mean, it's good, and it, and it works for us. But um, it's just a matter of understanding the differences. When you understand them, um, you, you can have grace for the other person. And I think, you know, for you guys, generally, now I can't say every man speaks less than women, because I know some couples where <laughs> the guys are a little chattier. But... Um, one of, the, one of the most romantic things, guys, that you can do, I think, for your wife is, is the four, four words of asking her, and then what happened? You know, just taking the time to listen, to ask her questions. If you just say that, and then what happened, you can just pretty much probably sit there and listen and stay off your phone. That's my secret. You don't play games on your phone when she's talking. Um, and so, so just really being aware of that for each other. All right, here's number three, and that is you got to feed the romance. you got to feed <laughs> one person wooed. <laughs> you got to feed the romance. And I, uh, the obvious reason is because all of our romance, it dies over time. And, and so if you've ever said, well, we just don't have what we used to have, well, congratulations, that's exactly right. That's how it is with every single couple. But it's not the fireplace's fault that there is no fire in it. <laughs> right? I mean, you got to go outside. You got to go get the logs. You got to put them in the fireplace. You got to strike a match and you got to light the fire. You got to be intentional and it takes work. Your fire may look amazing right now, but eventually it goes out. 
And one of the really important parts of this is understanding what your spouse's love language is. You know, understanding what is it that that other person needs. And, you know, generally, there's probably more than this, but we talk about, you know, the different love languages that are important to people. One is words of affirmation. One is acts of service. One's receiving gifts, quality time together, and physical touch. And for those of you, I saw this yesterday, which I thought was perfect, especially living in Austin. You know, so words of affirmation here in Austin is your tacos are delicious. Acts of services, you made tacos. Receiving gifts, here's a taco. <laughs> Quality time together, let's go out for tacos tonight. And physical touch, let me hold you like a taco. Um, <laughs> So really, it's finding out what these love languages are, what's, what's important to the other person. And I would say that mine is probably words of affirmation, you know, just encouragement. And what's been interesting for us is that's probably, and usually God does this, is probably like his, one of his biggest weaknesses because he grew up in a family that never talked words of affirmation, never said, I love you. It just it was like a foreign language to him. So over the years, you know, it's understanding that, you know, we are all coming from these things at a different perspective. And, and, and for him, it was having to, to teach him, like I used to early in our marriage say, why can't you just know this? Like, how hard is it to appreciate or affirm? But for him, it was like a foreign language. So I got um, to just being practical with it and, and telling him sometimes this is what I need. And I used to, this is when when people had like actual day planners when they weren't on your phone. And I'd write things on his calendar like three months out, like send flowers to Courtney. Or, <laughs> or I'd write, you know, call 12 o'clock, four months from now, call Courtney on your lunch break, you know. So it was, it's a matter of as much as we don't want to do that, as much as we want the other person to read our mind and just naturally fall into what we need, we can't. It's completely unfair I think to expect that out of the other person without just working on it and not taking it personally, but helping each other with that. Yeah, I'm grateful that she's been patient, you know, with me and helping me to be able to do that. But the, the point here is, is if you're not feeding uh, your romance in, in your relationship, just like the fire in your fireplace, it's, it's going to go out. We have to be intentional about that. Your, our love relationships, that fire will go out as well. As a matter of fact, uh, some of you ladies, maybe the last time that you said, come on, honey, turn off the lights and close the door. For some of you ladies, the last time you said that was when your husband's parents showed up outside in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking forward to saying that here this morning. <laughs> but I, I, I just think it's, it's true. If we're not feeding the fire to our relationship, if we're not intentionally doing it, the fire does go out. You've got to put a log on your fireplace. And probably the biggest advice that I can give to any of, and all of us in, in our marriage relationship is that you can't let your feelings drive this. You just can't let your feelings drive this because if you let your feelings drive this, you are setting yourself up for failure. Love is a choice, not a feeling, everybody. Then here's number four. And you've got to put Jesus in the center of it all. Really, actually, that should probably be number one, is it's so, so important that God is the center of our relationships and of our marriages. It's obviously true for every part of our lives, 
Um, but here, I think often it's easy to leave God out of the process and just take it on ourselves and try to f fix things ourselves. But um, if you don't let him in, you know, it's, it's just so much harder. This marriage is something God created, and without him in the center of it, it's just it's bound to fail or it's bound to be really, really tough. Psalm 127, 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So in other words, that's just saying it's going to crash and burn if you don't have him in the center of it. And I, obviously we're talking about a little bit about marriage relationships here, and this is obviously true for every relationship, every couple who wants to have a strong and healthy marriage, because without actively involving God in the middle of your relationship, it's going to crash and burn. We need to allow the inventor of the process to speak into this process that he actually created. We will always do better when we do it his way, which means we can't do it our own way. We can't just do it and kind of, um, I'm, I'm amazed at how much time we spend in trying to better ourselves in all sorts of things, but we go into marriage completely blind. The amount of people that don't, that don't go through premarital counseling and, and get help through that, we do that, we do it in every other aspect of life. Think about how many hours you studying the test you had to take to be able to drive your car. But yet we just go out and get a license and now, and now we're married and and, and, and then we try to do this on our own. And I, and I think when we try to do it on our own, it's kind of like, it's kind of like um, taking your, your car and, and saying that, well, you know, I don't care what my, the, the, the owner's manual of my car says. I want to put water in my gasoline tank because water is cheaper than gasoline. Surely it will work okay if I put water in my gas tank. But how many of you know that's just setting yourself up for failure? You put water in your gasoline tank, your car is going to seize up. And the same thing is true for your marriage. If we do it our way, if we're convinced we can just do it our own way, then you're setting yourself up for failure. In order for your relationships to work, we need to allow the one who designed them to actually then define them. Which then brings us to the fifth point, and that is you've got to make a covenant commitment. You actually got to make a covenant Commitment. There's two, those are two interesting words, covenant and commitment here, because when it comes to commitment, you only need to have a commitment when you don't want to do it, right? <laughs> you only need a commitment when you don't want to do it. You don't need a commitment if you like what you're doing, right? So it's kind of like, um, well, for me, you know, working out, going to the gym. If you love to work out, if you love to go running 10 miles, that doesn't, that's not a commitment if you like to do it. But if it's something you don't like to do, that's harder for you to do. You, that's where um, the commitment has to come in or you'll never do it. And I, I think the assumption here is that for every marriage, there's going to be days in your life where you're not liking what it is that's happening in your marriage. There's going to be days in your marriage where you're not liking the person who you're even living with. That's the reality for every single marriage. But I, I honestly believe you can't have healthy, thriving relationships until you make a commitment. We have to make a commitment to it. And you'll never know and experience the life-giving nature of, of these relationships until you establish this level of safety that only comes when you're committed to something which means you're never going to have a great marriage until you throw the option of divorce out of your head. 
As soon as divorce enters as a possibility, you have an out clause to this relationship, and there is no safety in this relationship. I can help any couple going through marriage difficulty, but if divorce is on the table, we're done. There's nothing that I can do because there's no commitment. But not only do we need to have commitment, we need to have a covenant commitment to our relationships. And covenant is also something that we really don't talk about, I think, in our culture anymore. So look at this in Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It says, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. So in other words, in other words, you're a believer. You're in church. You're not an atheist. You're not a pagan. You're not an unbeliever. You're actually at church, and you're crying, and you're, you're weeping. Look at, look at the rest of this, verse 13. It says, you weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. So in other words, God's saying, I've been watching how you've been treating your spouse. I've been watching how you're doing this, and you're not doing it my way, God says. You're doing it your own way. And I think this is really important for us to understand what God says about this, because you can go ahead and try to live your life your way and try to do things your way, but I'm telling you, it's bound to fail. Because if you're not living your life the way that God intended for you to live it, if you're not living it the, the way your owner's book tells you to live your life, and if you just end up doing just what you want to do, thinking there's not going to be any problem with it, you're going to end up living your life in a way where your life will start seizing up on you, just as if you were putting water in your gasoline tank. That's what happens when we leave God out of this ingredient of doing our marriage here together. Look at verse 14. You ask why. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth, because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So there's that word covenant. You're the wife of your marriage covenant. Verse 15. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. In other words, he, God's saying that you don't understand what happens when you start living your life and doing your relationships your own way. Because there is unintended consequences and it will begin to affect every relationship around you, especially your children. Look at verse 16. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord of the God of Israel, does violence on the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. And so, in other words, the moment where you're beginning to think, I've had enough, I'm done, this isn't working, that's when you need God the most. That's when you have to have a covenant. Because on your worst day, that's when something else has to take over. Instead of just letting your emotions take over, instead of just letting the situation take over, you got to have something else to take over, and that is this covenant. And every single one of us need it. I don't care where you are in your relationship right now, how good it feels or how bad it feels. Every single one of us need that something extra so that when we want to react in violence, instead we protect our spouse. Look at the ending of verse 16. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. And so let me just speak that directly to all of you who are married. Listen to what God says. Be 
on your guard. Be on your guard. Don't be unfaithful. Don't be unfaithful. Protect each other. This is specifically what God is speaking to every one of you who are married. Be on your guard. Don't be unfaithful. Protect each other. Now, remember when we first started talking here this morning, we talked about how the that there's these two greatest commandments that God tells that we are, how we are to live our lives, and they're forever linked. This is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments are forever linked in our lives. And so when God was describing this type of relationship that we're just have in our marriage relationship, this is the type of relationship that Jesus is wanting to have with you. And he shows us then how we're to do it in our marriage by this relationship that he has with us. In fact, he defines this type of relationship at the Last Supper, that Thursday, right before he went to the cross to die for us. It says this in Luke 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, I want you to notice the verbiage here in this verse. Because it says, this new covenant in my blood. He's forming a blood covenant with us. That's the type of covenant relationship that he wants to have with every single one of us. And here's the thing. The best possible relationships that you can ever have are those that are blood relationships. You know what I'm talking about here? I mean, mean, those of you who have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. Because it's easier to be faithful to those you have a blood relationship with. I mean, your child can be absolutely messed up and, and just horribly off and treating you poorly as a parent. But you as a parent will go to the ends of the earth to chase after your child. Why? Because they're your blood, right? You can't, you can't get rid of them. They're your blood, And so you can't ever change that. And so we'll go to the links of the earth to go after our children. But here's the problem. Your spouse is not blood related, which means then she can be more easily disposable. He can be more easily disposable. But what God is saying is that every important relationship in our life needs to become a blood covenant relationship. That's how, it need, that's how we need to define then our relationship. That word covenant actually means to cut. And in some cultures, when a marriage ceremony was being done, they would take a knife during the ceremony and cut the wife's hand and cut the husband's hand and then put the hands together and tie a cloth around those two hands, signifying that the mingling of their blood coming together It was a physical demonstration of this isn't just a contract that we're putting in for today. This is something that will last for eternity. This is something that we can't get rid of tomorrow. That's what a covenant is. And that's how we're to see our spouse. And that's the change in the shift. And that's one of the biggest things that our culture, I think, right now doesn't see even in marriage. We don't see it and practice it as a blood covenant. But let me suggest to you, this is how God sees This is how God sees you. This is how he treats you. Because God doesn't just kind of wait and see if you're going to be faithful and then he'll commit to you. 
He has a blood covenant with you. And he's faithful to you no matter what you do. And he will pursue you your entire life. He won't ever give up on you. Why? Because he's formed a blood covenant with you. And that's the type of relationship that he's he's calling every married couple to. Not just a contract, not just a commitment, but a blood covenant. Because when you are going through your worst day, you need something that's going to stick you together than just some sort of contract. It's covenant that does that sort of thing. And listen, this is what God's calling every single one of us to. If you would, I want you to close your eyes, if you would, please. Because I want you just to let God begin to work in your own heart. And whatever relationships you're involved in, for those that you, of you who are married, I want you to think about what's going on in your own heart right now. I don't want you to think about the other person. I just want you to think about yourself here. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love each other because he loved us first. We love each other because God loved us first. And so your capacity to love actually comes from receiving love. And so the reality is that you may not have experienced that from your parents when you were growing up. You may have not experienced that type of love in the family in which you were raised. And so as a result, you're, you've been trying to do relationships on your own ter- terms, and just as a contract, with all these different out clauses built inside of them. But I'm telling you, God wants to pour his love into your heart so that you can then in turn love those around you, including your spouse, including that one that maybe you're even angry with right now in this moment, including that one who's hurt you, including that one who has not met your expectations, including that one who's even violated you or maybe even been unfaithful to you. God wants to pour his love in your heart so that you then can in turn love that person unconditionally. Remember, in that worst day, that's when you need God the most. And on your worst day, he is there. He's right there with you. The Apostle Paul, he was praying this prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 for the believers in the city of Ephesus. And he says this, he said, I pray that Jesus will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust him. May your roots go down deep and into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and to understand, as all God's children should, how long and how wide and how deep and how high his love really is, and to experience then this love for yourself. And so whatever relationship struggles that you might be facing today, whatever relationship doors that may be being slammed in your face today, God's telling you today, you've never needed him more than you do right now. He's also telling you today, he's never loved you more then he loves you right now. 
And so I want to pray this over you here. So Father, I pray that Jesus will be more and more at home in every single one of our hearts, living within us as we put our trust and our faith in him. God, today we open up our hearts to you, to more of you. We make a decision today to trust you with all of our relationships, with every single relationship that we're involved in. We make a decision to trust you and we let go of control. We let go of our hurt. We let go of our bitterness. We let go of our anger. We let go of our unforgiveness. God, we make a decision to let go. Can you just say that out loud after me? Say, I let go. Say it again, I let go. I let go of control. I let go of my hurt. I let go of my anger. I let go of my right to be right. I let go of my right to have things done my own way. I let go of my bitterness. I let go of my unforgiveness. I let go of my unmet expectations. I let go. Now, Father, I pray that for every single one of us, that our roots would go down deep into the soil of your marvelous love, and that every single one of us would feel and understand how long and how wide and how deep and how high your love really is, and that every single one of us would then be able to experience your love, your amazing love for us. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and fill us with your love. Fill every hurt and every ache and every pain and every disappointment with your love. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion together as, as kind of as we're ending here and I think this is a great physical act of when Jesus said that when you gather together, do this as often as you come together in remembrance. We're remembering how great his love for us. And it's when we receive his love that we then in turn can then love those around us so much better. We have two stations here in front, in front of each of the section. How we're gonna, we'll start in the front. You'll exit on your right. You'll circle around. Just take a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and circle back into your aisle. We practice um, open communion here, which means that you don't have to be a member of this church. This is the table that Jesus set. We just invite you if you feel free to do that. And so if you would stand to your feet, worship team is going to lead us here as we do this together. The prayer team is going to be up here in the front, and uh, they're, they're here to pray with you. I know talking about any type of relationship can stir a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I think it's so important for me to speak to you. Even when there's failure, there's, God is always the God of restoration. He's a God of newness. And so don't let failure on your part cause condemnation and guilt to leave you because God steps into the middle of that. And you can, right where you are, right in the middle of what's happening right now, you can be faithful. 
and you can love unconditionally right now, starting, starting today. Let the Holy Spirit begin to breathe inside of you love for the people who are around you. But these men and women are here to pray with you. Just please don't go away if you're, you're, you're wrestling with stuff and these relationship conversations are difficult. Let people just kind of minister to you. They'll just hang out here as well. Starting today, we're having our five-minute um, welcome parties. And all that means is that right in five minutes from now, so it's 11.03, so 11.08, in the second hallway over, which is where my office is, we're going to do a five-minute welcome party. Literally, it's five minutes. There's some little finger food there, and you'll be able to meet some of the leaders, if, um, and you'll, I want to make sure to uh, introduce myself and meet you, too. If you're new or, or newer, newish around here and you've never been to a welcome party, none of you have been to a five-minute welcome party, so please, <laughs> please don't all of you show up. Um, but all of you, you're welcome to come. This is second hallway over, uh, 11.08. We'll start that. Those of you who have kids upstairs, you can leave your kids there for that. And uh, then they'll, they'll take care of your kids for the next, um, during that five minutes. Um, this is just kind of our way just to connect before you leave here. Let me just speak a blessing over you before we depart here. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Go in peace, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless you.